Welcome to the Aristia podcast, where experts talk about excellence. Our podcast format includes a young professional early in their career talking to an expert for academic and industry insights. At some point, we turn the tables around, where the expert asks the young professional about their agonies, dreams and aspirations about their field. In today's podcast, our young professional is Eleftheria Ledaki, Director in Business Development and Alliance Management at Avecta in London, England. And our industry expert is Marina Hatsopoulos, Chair of the Board of Levitronics Technologies, Founding Advisor of Inkbit and President of the Hellenic Innovation Network. Hi, Marina. It's so lovely to have you in today's Aristia podcast interview. I want to start with a question about yourself. You start your career with a bachelor's degree in pure math and music from Brown University and a master's degree in mechanical engineering from MIT. You then applied those amazing scientific skills into becoming an entrepreneur and investor of Z Corporation. What has been your point of harmony between engineering, entrepreneurship and investments? Um, so thank you for having me. It's a real honor to be here. Um, engineering was really a tool that I wanted in order to be able to communicate with and manage engineers. I really never aspired to be an engineer, but that education really helped me. It opened up a whole new world to me. And, um, and then regarding investments, there are a lot of patterns that you begin to see with startups, uh, especially after you've done it yourself. Um, I think the most important piece of good investments is a strong team, and it's easier to make this assessment if you can ask lots of questions, both technical as well as business related. And, um, you know, working uh, in a startup allows you to um, get better judgment regarding people and how well they can work together to get things done. And that, that actually sounds really interesting. And from those positions that you have been in, which have been directing positions and investor positions, and in a number of companies actually, and some of them have been Context Holding, GSI Group, Sinusure, and others as well. Uh, what was your role exactly? And what are the skills needed to be a succession entrepreneur? So um, being a director is very different than being an entrepreneur. So, um, but being an entrepreneur, I think, is very helpful um, then to become a director or an investor. Um, and so it really will inform your decision-making process as a director or an investor. Um, in terms of this key skills to be a successful entrepreneur, um, for one thing, it's very important to know how to sell because you are always selling. You need it uh, to be able to hire employees, especially early employees who may be reluctant to join a startup that you know, doesn't have much funding, it's not yet proven, it doesn't have any customers. So especially in those early days, you're doing a lot of selling in order to hire people. Um, and then you have to sell uh, the vision in order to raise money and to get investors. And then you have to be the number one salesperson um, originally selling your product to your customers. Um, you know, you may hire someone, but in those early days, you really need to be the first one out there in order to get customer feedback and refine the pitch and find the perfect product market fit. Because generally, you're not spot on when you start. And so it needs a lot of back and forth in order to figure that out. 
I also think some knowledge of accounting is important because you can't win in anything if you can't keep score. And uh, that's really useful. And finally, people skills are extremely important in order to keep your team motivated, to keep them excited, and in order to articulate a vision for the business. Um, it's also important as the company grows to have your pulse on what's happening in the organization, among the people, and to make sure that everyone is moving forward in the right direction. Um, I have to say for myself, the people skills were the most challenging for me, and um, that is where I experienced the most growth. Um, and I learned from a lot of people around me who, um, for whom that came very naturally. Um, but you know, at the end of the day. Um, you can't do anything on your own. You need a team. And so this team needs to know where you're driving, why they're driving there, how to do it. Um, and so working together as a team is extremely important. That's, that's really important. The team and the idea and actually being able to bring that team together and develop the product is really important as well. And uh, for all those startups that are out there and they will listen to this advice, um, when do you think it would be the right time for them to um, take up a full-time role in their startup and leave their full-time jobs? Is there a good time to do that? I love this question. I think this is just a terrific question. And it's one that we've been talking a lot about um, with some other people. Um, it really goes to the heart of a fundamental question, which is who can afford to be an entrepreneur? And this gets to issues of equity and inclusion. Um, historically, the story was that you were not considered committed and fundable if you didn't pursue your startup full time. And um, that's been something that we've said, you know, that is the storyline that we've all said for many, many years. Um, but what I've seen is that uh, I do a lot of work at MIT, um, which is, you know, great at spinning out startups. And what I see happening there is that researchers will stay at the university until they get their patents squared away, until they get some initial government funding. Um, they get all the resources um, at the university, which for a hardware company can involve millions of dollars of equipment that they get access to. They get access to cheap labor in the form of students. They get a lot of expertise in form of advisors and professors and other research happening around them. It's, it's a very, um, very vibrant community to be a part of. Um, and so a lot of times they'll wait. In fact, one of the startups I've worked with waited four years before they spun off um, out of MIT. So at the end of the day, this question can really only be answered in the specific. It depends in part on what kind of a safety net the entrepreneur has in terms of personal savings, a working spouse, family wealth, um, as well as what obligations they have. This could be children, college debt, et cetera. Um, there's no right answer to it. Um, but at the end of the day, as an entrepreneur, you have to be realistic about the um, demands that a startup will make of you, both in terms of financial uh, demands and also in terms of time. Um, it's going to suck every hour you have. So giving it less than full time will, will limit its growth. Um, however, people increasingly now are, you know, holding down another job until they can get it to a certain point where it's really fundable and they can draw down a salary. 
this makes complete sense. And and I guess that from all the experience that you have had in Greece and the US in private and public organizations, uh, by supporting those young entrepreneurs, you must have seen them working in practice and actually making those choices. Um, what would you say are the most striking differences that you have experienced between Greek and American startups? Um, that's also a really interesting question. Um, one thing I see is that Greek startups generally build larger teams earlier on with less capital. Um, they're usually more capital constrained because there's been so much money being thrown at startups here in the US up until very recently. Um, so generally, the Greek startups push toward financial sustainability sooner, um, which um, I think is very healthy. It builds a very strong foundation for a company, um, although it can also limit um, the growth. Um, some in Greece, perhaps because of these capital constraints, um, drive slower growth. But, you know, that's changing all the time. Um, in general, I would say the pace of life in Greece is not as fast as in the U.S. Um, but then again, the entrepreneurs who get outside exposure really get it and they push and they drive. Um, American startups generally have ac had access to much more capital and until recently expected to raise lots of money at high valuations. Um, but things are changing as we speak. They're coming a little bit more down to earth now. Um, you know, even today, there's still more capital at higher valuations in the U.S., um, but we'll see, you know, what the coming year brings. So it seems that uh, capital is actually a really important part of uh, actually building a successful startup, but the majority of them fail at the early stages and uh, everybody is wanting to find advice for the recipe to success. What would you describe as a recipe to failure? Um, well, that's, uh, that's always an interesting question. And um, I would also, um, I, I wrote a piece of satire about this, which is on my website, windystreet.com. Mm -hmm. um, and it's called 10 Steps to a Unicorn Exit. And it's really making fun of the 10 most common errors that I see startups make. Um, but I would say um, if I were to prioritize these, the first is a lack of awareness of the market. Mm -hmm. So um, not being uh, aware and respectful of competitive solutions, which might be less elegant, but also less expensive than the solution you're offering. Um, I often see that, um, particularly at very highly sophisticated universities like MIT, where they'll have this beautiful, cool new technology that is a solution, but there's a clunky old technology that's actually cheaper. Um, so, um, and the other is a lack of awareness of the market. So the needs of the customer, um, do they really care? How much do they care? Do they care enough to give you their money? A lot of time entrepreneurs, especially technical ones who prefer to work in the lab instead of picking up the phone, are just a little bit out of touch with what's happening in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. um, there may be a little bit of ego involved, um, thinking that they're the only ones with a solution, or it just may be they are just not plugged in enough to know what's out there. Um, and so it's really important as an entrepreneur to put yourself in the shoes of your ideal customer. And now go out and try to find a solution other than yours. And find out what, what would be the solutions out there. And now from your customer's perspective, 
um, compare your solution to that solution. Um, the second one I uh, think is so important um, that I see is uh, entrepreneurs who avoid conflict. Um, successful entrepreneurship without conflict is impossible. It's part of the process and conflict is what helps a leader to reach better decisions. Um, what you want is to surround yourself with people that are very different than you. They have different experiences. They have different talents. They have different interests. And so they will have different opinions. Um, and so when you're faced with an important strategic decision, you want to have all these voices around the table and you will inevitably reach better decisions with all that input. If you're able to listen to it respectfully, allow people, give them the time and the space to voice their opinions and listen to them. And then, you know, that doesn't mean you're taking a vote every time there's a decision. It means that you're listening to it all, allowing people to argue their position, which is different than your position and reach um, a conclusion. And I find that um, inventors actually find it really important to hear feedback from investors as well, because investors need to have a complete understanding of the market. And the market at this time, especially for um, the biotech and uh, the issues with inflation, it is a bit challenging. So you are an angel investor yourself. Uh, would you consider making any investments in the future? Oh, I think there are lots of great opportunities out there. Um, I'm not um, an expert in the biotech space. That's a very specific area. But um, in terms of investing in startups, at the end of the day, nothing beats equities in the long run, historically. Um, so as long as you're not going to need liquidity on any particular day, in any particular time frame, investing in companies, both startups and large and, uh, enterprises is going to generate the highest returns over time. Mm -hmm. um, so it just is a question of whether you're gonna need liquidity or not, um, if you have the staying power to stay in there and the emotional stamina to um, you know, not be checking every day. And if things go down 50% in one day to stick in it, don't take all your money out, just stay in there. And, you know, these things come back. Over time, historically, nothing beats equities. Okay, that, that's really good to know. Um, and you also mentioned briefly about the Greek ecosystem, and I know that you have supported the Cypriot startup ecosystem as well. Do you think that this ecosystem need more capital, and especially at this era? And um, would you have any experience of what they're lacking and what can be done to further nurture those ideas, new ideas, and commercialize new products in Greece and Cyprus? So there is capital available for seed funding, um, although more later stage growth capital would definitely help. And some of these funds are now um, raising money, raising new funds, which is great for the ecosystem. Um, at the end of the day, any high growth Greek startup has to go global uh, anyway. So as soon as they establish a, a global presence, they can access the global capital markets. Um, you know, they just need to have a presence. So, you know, here in Boston, most of the VCs want to see a US presence before they're going to invest. Um, and, and all that means, it doesn't mean, you know, that you have some huge um, building or anything like that. You, they want to see 
the CEO, the um, sales and marketing team here in the US, um, you know, whatever is market facing. And then you can keep the development team back in Greece. Um, I think what's lacking um, right now in Greece is a connection between the excellent research happening in the universities and in the research centers and the startup community that has the kind of driven entrepreneurs who know how to commercialize it or, or can figure out how to commercialize these technologies. Um, there is a great opportunity there to take the core research, what we call tough tech, get it out of the research lab and into the marketplace. This is a non-trivial process. It's not something the professor can do on Saturday mornings. It requires a huge investment in time and money. It's a real commitment. It needs a focus. It, it, um, it's something that I believe is the next big opportunity for Greece and for Cyprus. Um, thankfully, there are organizations like MIT Enterprise Forum Greece and Cyprus Seeds which are helping to bridge this divide. And increasingly, there are venture capital firms like Big Pie that are going after that more tough tech um, that's happening in Greece. But these are much longer term plays. So this isn't something that's going to generate a 3x return within a year. You know, it's this is something that will require sustained financial commitment to, um, you know, might take five or 10 years. You look at biotech, it can take 20 years um, to get something to market. There has been an effort to develop a technology transfer network in Greece. And I have seen this the past couple of years, but I think it will take a bit more time to, to reach the capabilities that the US and the UK have at the moment in commercialization. But I guess that, you do a lot of mentorship work, so you're supporting as much as you can uh, the Greek startups to kind of gain this understanding that they're lacking at the moment. Um, but outside of entrepreneurship and innovation, uh, I have seen that you're really creative and you have your own website, you're an active writer of fiction and non-fiction articles and a TEDx speaker. And I would like to find out a bit more about that and understand how you combine your love for writing with your entrepreneurship mindset. And if you think that um, this is easy to be done, can you combine it with work? Um, do people need to have a creative outset in life in order to have a life-work balance? And if so, has this helped you in your career and your everyday routine? So regarding work-life balance, um, I really did not have that while we were mm -hmm. building Z Corp. I was really exhausted with four little kids. Um, but we got creative with that. Uh, for example, the twins were in the office for the first year of their lives. Um, in terms of being creative, I love being creative in whatever shape it takes. Um, after uh, we sold Z Corp, I was able to kind of let that side of my brain um, loose a little bit. Um, writing bears many similarities and many differences with entrepreneurship. First of all, it involves lots of failure and tons of rejection. Um, but thankfully at Z Corp, I developed a thick skin and I try really hard not to take things personally. Um, they both also involve starting with a blank sheet of paper and creating something from nothing. And I just love that. I, I get such, uh, I, it really energizes me to do that. Um, I think there's a fundamental difference between writing and entrepreneurship, which is that entrepreneurship is team, uh, team-based. 
and the writing I do, this, this isn't true for all writing um, because some people write together and some people write in groups, for example, for TV shows. Um, but I write alone. Um, so it's very solitary um, and I don't have a writer's group. So it's fundamentally very different than what I was doing. And honestly, I have to balance that with other work that I do because um, I don't like to be alone, you know, 24 hours a day. Um, I do like working with other people. So I try to balance it with other things I do outside of writing. I have I have read some of your work and it's actually amazing and you can see you. how different talents people can have if they actually spend some time to to figure out themselves and and um, just not think about work <laughs> and think about what drives them outside of outside of work. It's been a process. The uh, learning how to write is has been a, a very long journey for me. But does it come naturally? Or do you actually have to read about it as well? Oh, there's tremendous amount of craft. I've taken tons of classes and I read books all the time. I'm reading a book right now about it. I'm reading about writing, how to write all the time. Um, there's tremendous amount of craft. Um, I don't know if it comes naturally to some people. Um, it definitely, um, it I don't know if I would say it doesn't come naturally. I'm not good naturally, <laughs> let's say that. Um, it's been a lot of hard work uh, to learn the craft for me. Um, but I would say what does come naturally is uh, my joy in it, my pleasure. I love the process. And I would say of anything that I've done, and this includes a serious commitment to music um, in high school and college, but, um, and I love music, but in terms of the process of the work, um, I really love writing um, more than anything. So Eleftheria, it's been so uh, nice uh, chatting with you. And um, I would love to understand uh, a little bit more about your background. You have a really interesting background uh, and you have shifted direction over time. So I'm curious when you set out to get your biology degree, um, what was the career career that you imagined at that time and how has it shifted since then and what do you imagine now as you think forward five or ten years from now that's a really interesting question i actually had medicine as my first choice uh, however starting my bachelor course i came to love biology as we all know it's the basis of any therapeutic and diagnostic discovery I imagined myself to become a professor following an academic career, which would be filled with uh, inventiveness and new drug discoveries. However, even though I had the intellectual and scientific curiosity, I didn't have the technical and experimental curiosity that you mentioned as well. And um, I was trying to find of an alternative career and thinking where can, could I use my skills in? And um, this is why I sought to pursue a master's degree in intellectual property law to understand how the rights uh, to academic inventions uh, are protected in order to use my scientific background into becoming a patent attorney. But after becoming a part qualified patent attorney, I then realized that that wasn't any enough stimulus even for me. So I then had to redraw and re-understand myself and my purpose. So I sought a career which in the end combined science and intellectual property and business. And that was the career of technology transfer. And in technology transfer, you're supporting academics 
as part of, a of the University Technology Transfer Office to commercialize the research. And um, I did that for three years and then I realized that I have tons of inventions to work with, tons of personalities. And even though I loved managing those relationships and helping those technologies um, be partnered with companies, I just thought that I need a bit more focus. So I decided to pursue this work, but in a specific biotech company. And having grown my experience and my expertise, um, I now am a director of business development and alliance management in a biotech company. So um, I am really looking forward to what that would bring. But uh, in terms of the future and thinking ahead, I this is something that um, I have been thinking of. And um, I would like to keep using my leadership skills and teach young researchers and entry-level professionals on how they can use their expertise into supporting patients and taking technologies into the market. But I also really want to, to keep a creative mindset such as yourself and um, do some voluntary work for causes that I really care about such as protecting wildlife. And I'm hoping that I will be able to do that more in the future. That's great. So you don't have any specific targets in mind, let's say 10 years from now, 20 years from now. I used to have a target, which I have reached. So Great. my five-year target was to be actually in the position that I am now. So I kind of changed mindsets now. And I'm thinking that I need to enjoy every day, do the best that I can at work. And uh, opportunities will come to me um, because I am open enough and uh, experienced enough now to, to pick the right roles. But I would still like to remain in the life science business development space. Um, that's great. Um, so, um, academic research for scientific discovery of new therapeutics or diagnostics can be very solitary work, whereas business development is very much of a people-oriented activity, building relationships and looking outward. Um, it seems to me in our conversation, you're very comfortable with people, um, and, and, um, very articulate, but how do you view yourself? Do you view, do you like being alone? Do you prefer to be with other people? Are you an introvert? Are you an extrovert? Where are your talents? Do you think um, where do you derive your energy and, and where do you naturally tend to veer? That's a really interesting question because I have had this conversation with friends and everybody says that I'm an extrovert, but I feel like an extroverted introvert. And this actually exists because I have looked it up. Um, in my job, there are times where I use my extroverted ability, as you say, um, in attending conferences, networking, building relationships, and figuring out the ideal collaboration with other companies and with academic institutions. But at the same time, you need some time to focus. You need to review contracts, explore deal terms, and do market analysis, which require focus and a detail-oriented mind. So I think I have both. Um, I would say that in terms of talents, I think that we all have a lot of talents. We just have not discovered them yet. In terms of my talents and what people tell me is that I am a really good leader. 
and I'm uh, really goal-oriented. And I saw this recently a lot through my role as the president of the World Hellenic Biomedical Association because um, I am the president of the executive board and we are all working, and I am working with really talented individuals, and we are working to, to bring together expatriate Greeks, clinicians and scientists to educate the new generation of scientists. And we are doing this through a number of initiatives. And having all these amazing people and being able to work with them and kind of guide them um, through the best approach to then be an advocate for an organization, I think this has improved my skills and actually shown um, what I can do as a leader. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, I, it's incredibly powerful to be comfortable on your own and also comfortable with other people. So I think that will bode very well for you as you move forward. Amazing, yes, uh, that's great. So I wanted to move on to our last question. It's one of the favorite questions that we have in the podcast and it's kind of imaginary. So in a perfect setting, what's your favorite place to invite two guests and who, what would you love to be served and what's the favorite song that would play on the background? So I love entrepreneurs. I find them really fun to people uh, people to be with. They think out of the box. They're a little out there. They're willing to break a few rules here and there. Um, so I would want to hang out with two entrepreneurs, uh, maybe Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates, um, or maybe, you know, honestly, any two entrepreneurs. Um, and uh, I would be, I would want to be on the beach in Greece, drinking Campari and soda. <laughs> and I would want to be listening to Hosier's song, Sunlight, which is one of my favorite songs. And he's one of my favorite artists. It's really interesting that most of our guests would like to be in Greece. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a place to be. By the way, my Campari and soda has to have lemon in it. I should have specified. We <laughs> may have one later in the evening after work. Oh, that sounds wonderful. I'm going to have one tonight as well. <laughs> I hope so. That would be wonderful. Have an amazing day. Thank you. Bye-bye. A huge thank you to Marina Hatsopoulos and Eleftheria Ledaki for this podcast, Aristia in 30 Minutes, where experts talk about excellence.